And you hear that music? You know what it means. It is clatter, chatter, and all that matters time. And we are excited for the episode today. This is our second podcast, Clatter, Chatter on Things That Matter, where we promise a light and lively, intellectually invigorating, theologically engaging experience while supporting sociological imagination. This conversation will be, once again, with none other than the Reverend Dr. Brenda Hayes. Greet us, Dr. Hayes. Good afternoon, Dr. Cooper. Good afternoon, Dr. Hayes. Let us begin with our conversation. A question for today. Understanding that we have been in an interesting time and space once again with the most recent egregious acts of against humanity uh, as we stand in solidarity with our um, brothers and sisters in Boulder, Colorado. And the question for today or the questions that we will pontificate on for these few moments is this. Guns, violence, sticks and stones, vitriol and rhetoric. Words that hurt and words that heal. We are embarking upon our holy season in Christianity um, with Palm Sunday, the processional triumphant entry into Jerusalem, as well as the resurrection of hope on Easter Sunday. So, Dr. Hayes, let's begin. Um What do you think? How can we allow our words and our actions and our deeds to offer the necessary healing in this time and space in which we're living? I think we have to keep a positive mindset and not be taken aside by the rhetoric of the news media and those who want to continue to highlight the sensational. I guess I'm kind of stuck on on this place because I recognize that all of us are, you know, exposed to 24-7 cable news and uh, the repetition of the bad news sometimes uh, uh, kind of gets to our spirit and infuses us with a kind of negativity that prevents us from really bringing the hope and the positivity that others uh, look to cleric kind of people uh, to disseminate. They, they want to hear some word of hope. Uh, where do we go from here? Some direction. They want to hear, as you say before, what, what would Jesus have to say about this? And so I, ha- I think we have to continue to f- keep ourselves focused uh, and uh, institute those kinds of parameters in our day-to-day lives that limit the infusion of negativity so that we'll be able to truly and earnestly be positive people who bring a positive message, a word of hope 
to those who have been drawn aside by bad news. And and that's interesting that you bring this up because I often say when um, uh, people uh, re- retort with the trite comments of um, whenever we use the term or the phrase Black Lives Matter and, and they, they then re, re, uh, re, use the refrain, well, there's more black-on-black crime than police brutality. And, and I always say, historically, that is very inaccurate uh, in terms of if we go back uh, to the what we consider the origins of this newfound land. Of course, it was never lost because the indigenous people were here before the pilgrims arrived uh, in in Jamestown, um, but here here's the thing: uh, if we if we look at uh, the wounded knee and and all other battles uh, on this land uh, against our indigenous brothers and sisters, and then we we bring forward the um, the the Spanish American War, we we bring forth the the Civil War, and then after all of those. Uh, uh, battles on this ground, we we give birth to Jim Crow, who has never died, and and with the the birth of Jim Crow and, and Reconstruction, the antebellum era, even even after the war, uh, with the Jim Crow era, we see uh, state sanctioned um, lynchings, and I had to pause because the state sanctioned lynchings at the hands of uh, the establishment of those who were uh, deputized to catch runaway slaves, deputized to catch runaway slaves, and and that was the origins of what we consider the police state today. But but anyway, when we do as a collective, not even thinking about the bombing in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, Greenwood, in fact, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Black Wall Street, the the 700 or so who's or 75 or whatever the number was, great number. Uh, some historians say 75, others who lived in that time and space say it was 300 or more. Uh, but the bombing of, of in Tulsa, Greenwood, uh, Oklahoma, uh, including the lynchings that were state-sanctioned, including the bombings of, of churches in Birmingham, known as Birmingham, you add all those numbers together, and they still pale in comparison to the black-on-black uh, uh, gun violence that that we see the mass shootings statistically the mass shootings are done at the hands of of there's a there's a prototype and it's not a stereotype it is a prototype of what a a mass shooter looks like typically a single white male a loner white male um, and and yesterday I saw a news article and I know this is a bird walk but yesterday at the state capitol in Georgia. To see uh, uh, an elected official, black woman, elected official, state representative, placed in handcuffs because she wanted to see the signing of this egregious uh, election reform in the state of Georgia. And to see the optics of it was so painful to watch the state representative uh, placed in handcuffs uh, with with six police officers uh, arresting this state official uh it became kind of painful uh, a painful reminder that we have not progressed and and where is the hope and and i had a visceral reaction to see uh representative cannon uh placed in in handcuffs doing her elected official duty 
by simply knocking on the door of the governor's office to see him sign uh, in the face this this bill to uh, repeal uh, the elections, the the voting rights of those and to disenfranchise voters. Um, that's an act of violence. When I was um, remember doing some work with safe and drug free schools from the Johnson Institute said that most acts of violence begin with nonverbal interactions from eye rolling. It escalates to when, when we hear young people say, you looked at me funny. That's a real thing. It escalates to physical fighting after school. Then it escalates to, you know, bringing a knife or heaven forbid, here we are now with guns. Where is the hope? Where is the hope? So society hasn't, hasn't changed necessarily and how we engage. But is it because we have more information and we are aware of it? The lynchings, lynch mobs, lynching parties, to see strange fruits hanging from the trees. Think about that DNA response that is passed on down to this current generation whose great-grandfather was part of a lynch mob and how to anesthetize ourselves to that pain. DNA mutations to pain. What do you think? Well, I still think that things are better than they seem. Um, First of all, um, the official is an official. A black woman is part of a congressional group. Um, She did have a right to witness the signature. I think they assumed that uh, anybody who was not a Republican would not be interested. And I, I, I do think how, it was terribly wrong that she was arrested, but she has been released. And her colleagues are going to make sure um, that she's totally exonerated of any uh, charges of breaking the law in any way. These are the positive things. I know it's a bad, uh, it's a bad thing that it happened, but it's a good thing, the amount of support and the fact that the world knows now what they did. And uh, she makes headline news when a lot of things that were done, as you, as you recounted in the South and so forth, uh, many people never knew about. It was a way of life, so to speak. And um, lynchings and killings and all of that were acceptable by the so-called dominant culture because it was part of their culture. And, uh, and I think the, the things that we're hearing now is a desire upon uh, the hearts of some. Uh, and I think that the some are a minority of American citizens. Uh, but there are some who would like to hearken back to those days uh, where you can keep Negroes in their place. In other words, not competing with whites uh, in any way, uh, but more or less serving whites um, than anything else. But look look where we are now. We are present in every sphere. You can't, you can't go into any group situation and not find uh, some black representation. So I think we have progressed uh, in in reality, but 
of course, if you, if what you're getting is the bad things that happen every day, then sometimes you're not going to think about uh, the positive things that nobody is going to report in the news. I, I think that also um, most of us uh, realize, if we haven't before, to understand that race is a social construct. And the identity of whiteness was was in as a categorization of those who were more melanated, um, and and that set up this system, this hierarchical structure. But but I think now we are are pivoting towards understanding perhaps that uh, those who have this perception of power. Um, it is contrived and, and it means absolutely nothing. It's in theory that the, the power is intrinsic and we have the power to, to, to turn off the news. We have the agency to uh, set up boundaries to protect our hearts, our minds and our souls. But then we also have this, this collective uh, context as, as humanity and looking at one who was an excellent example across uh, various religions um, as as D.T. Niles and M.M. Thomas, uh, Indian Asian theologians would would say this this idea of a cosmic Christ, one who uh, um, did not force a a religious ideology upon anybody, but gave us this excellent way of, of serving and empowering others right where they are. Even with the example of one who would be considered not welcome, who probably had horrendous acts of violence perpetrated against her uh, and, and why Jesus affirmed her. And that is the first evangelist, the first spreader of the good news, the first one who witnessed the resurrection. And that would be none other than Mary Magdalene or Mary Magdala. Um, and, and with that understanding, all those in antiquity who had experiences of Jesus uh, as he walked the earth, and especially those who had encounters with him uh, post-resurrection, the witness of of the hope and and how he could um, amass such positivity, not necessarily Pollyannaism, but positive reinforcements of 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 who we are. And and is it could you uh, infer perhaps that those who would re- retreat to acts of violence are missing this essence of who they are in this whole idea that was in God's mind to allow them to be part of the human struggle. How do we help people love themselves so that they could see within them the essence of the God of Jesus? I think we continue to acknowledge uh, the importance of people's presence and their input, their ideas, their contributions. I think we have to continue to, in other words, give give uh, praise where praise is due. When people do good and right things, they, they ought to be recognized. Uh, not that we should do 
the right thing for recognition. But certainly, um, as we interact as human beings, all of us want, want to feel valued. And these are ways that we make one another feel valued. That, you know, sometimes we feel that a person is so accomplished and, and so full of self-esteem and really does not need anyone to tell them how great they are, but that's not true. It, I don't care how, how well accomplished you might be, it's still good to hear somebody say that they appreciate who you are and what you do. And so we have to continue to keep ourselves uh, encouraged by encouraging others. And I think that, that the principle is that whatever you put out, you will get back. If you're a person who praises others, you will get your praise when it's time. I think if you're a person who gives other, others opportunities, when you've had uh, enough opportunities in life to, to satisfy um, your need uh, to express who you are and to share your gifts, there's nothing wrong with letting someone else have an opportunity. And I think that, that we have to continue to think that way, that we're not um, the end all of anything, that we're not the most important persons in the world, that there are other people who also need to be recognized. And I think everybody has a contribution to make. And when we make room for others uh, to be who they are, it, it, it uh, enriches our lives and also expands uh, the horizons of what we can expect for our tomorrows. Dr. Hayes, that's a big deal when we recognize that there is plenty good room for everybody in every shape, form, or fashion to be expressly whom they are, full throttle, unashamedly, occupying all the space that is theirs to occupy, not shrinking, but using their gifts and graces that were given to make a difference, not self-serving. Plenty good room for everybody all over the world. And we can learn a lot from the animal kingdom. No bullies necessary. And, and when that circle of life is completed, um, as, as they say in, in Kenya, when that circle of life is completed, there is this, this, this chain reaction that, that from dust we came and dust we shall return and from that dust will sprout forth new trees, new plants, new, new vegetables to consume that will, that will nourish and nurture other living forms. And, and when that circle of life is completed, we all decompose and, and fertilize again. So, so why can't we be fruitful and fertile in spreading compassion and, and embracing um, as, as God has embraced us. And I want to I get back to the Mary Magdalene uh, story 
because I think it's a it's a great example of how Jesus did the very thing that we're talking about. Jesus was inclusive and recognized the contribution that Mary Magdalene made to his ministry. Uh, and that he did he went out of his way to be kind to her. Uh, I think that in his crucifixion, he recognized how hurt, how deeply hurt she was and how it was going to be difficult for her to go on uh, without without being able to see him one more time. And so he gave her that gift. And sometimes we have to do that. He didn't have to do that. He could have he could have shown up. Uh, with the 12 as he ultimately did he did not have to make a private showing for Mary Magdalene uh, but he appreciated her contributions to his ministry and I, I think of Mary Magdalene as uh, Jesus vice president I mean you know she went with him everywhere just like the other disciples she contributed and supported to his program, and uh, she was willing to be devoted to the very end, uh, seeking his body to make preparations for burial and all of that. And so it reminds me of that woman who is behind every successful man, that, that in the boardroom, uh, there's that woman who has kept the schedule, who has reminded him of the preparation that needs to be made, who has put together the portfolios for everybody who will be on the discussion, who greets people as they come in and, and makes the room warmer because uh, of her presence. And so to recognize that she was an important person in the old greater scheme of things, uh, was a gift that Jesus gave, his last gift that he gives to her to affirm her, to let her know she was indeed an important part of his ministry. He sent her with the message, go tell my disciples that I have risen and they should meet me in Galilee. He didn't have to do that. We don't have to do it, but he did and we should. Amen. And I and I have to say this behind every successful man, there is a there is a woman and within single women who are power brokers, they got it all to themselves doing their thing too. hallelujah. Amen. Dr. Hayes, anything else you want to say for the good of this podcast today? Well, I just, you know, let's keep hope alive. I think that's important. Uh, let's keep a balanced view of what's going on in the world. And just because the good things don't make the headlines doesn't mean that good things aren't happening. God bless. God bless you. God keep you. For clatter, chatter, and things that matter. Reverend Dr. Brenda Hayes. I am the Reverend Carla Cooper, and we pray that you'll tune in again next week. There is no telling what you might hear from us.